MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. Today, the Secretary of the Navy puts Captain Crozier on blast hydroxychloroquine as a possible cash cow for the administration. Boris Johnson has admitted the hospital in intensive care. Ousted Intelligence Community Inspector General Atkinson speaks out. The Wisconsin governor postpones the elections under GOP scrutiny. And I'll be speaking with CNN National Security Analyst Sam Vinograd about a survey of hospitals conducted by the HHS Inspector General. I'm your host, AG, and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hey, how are you? I am good. How are you doing? Good. I wanted to get you on the phone. We got like when apparently when when we're separated, people think we are sad. I know. I've had a I've had a couple moments that have proved to be concerning for some of our listeners. So sorry. Sorry to worry you all. Everything's fine. It's just hard. It's hard when you're recording alone, right? Because it's like normally we get to crack jokes with each other or something. When you're alone, it's very easy to just sort of fall into the pit of despair and solitude that this breeds. Yep. Yep, agreed. Uh, it's just not nearly as funny without you here. So I miss you. I miss you too. I'm not cracking jokes either. It's depressing as fuck. <laughs> well, let's try today as best we can. It's hard to crack jokes anymore, though. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and uh, but this Friday we will have a more fun, lighthearted, uh, less political thing. We're going to do every Friday now at 4 Pacific time our... Uh, cocktail Q&A quarantine thing that we're that we've been putting on I haven't come up with a theme yet for this week so if you have an idea for a theme and you're listening if you're listening listeners uh hit us up at Mueller she wrote or at daily beans pod on twitter and let us know what the theme should be last week it was the pajama jammy jam so we're looking for a theme this time this is yes if my memory is correct I think didn't we talk about dressing up fancy oh we did we talked about having like a cocktail hour with like cocktail attire, yeah, I'm in. I remember we, I remember we talked about that. I don't, know, I'm, I'm obviously open to options, but we did talk about that when we did the, the podcast. That could be fun or um, recording. That could be, that could be nice. Everyone could put on their finest dress. That I will inevitably just be overflowing out of. <laughs> or it's the wolf shirt with ruffles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just have lace trim all around, all around the neck lining. Very nice. <laughs> you can bedazzle your wolf shirts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> stars definitely yeah. should have rhinestones. And I'm thinking of having, uh, like, for example, we're going to have an interview later in the show with Sam Vinograd, and and she she's like, I'll pop on and say hi. Like, we're thinking about having some guests, some some. Uh, you know, pundits or celebrity guests pop on and, and join us for those. So if you're not a patron uh, and you can do it, you know, don't don't do it if you can't right now. It's times are tough. But if you can, uh, it's as little as three bucks a month. You get all the, the benefits, ad free episodes and whatnot. So so check that out. Um, we do have a lot of news to get to. And uh, Jordan, you're going to have an update on us uh, on coronavirus for us. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, Jordan, what do you got for us? Uh, yeah, so we got a governor that has 
answered the calls of Governor Cuomo to send over ventilators if they have them to New York State. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, our state, whoop whoop, he is sending uh, 500 ventilators lending to New York and other states that need them. Uh, Washington and Oregon have also lent supplies to New York, so there's a really nice response coming from the West Coast states right now. Ventilators will first be delivered to the Strategic National Stockpile, and yeah, Oregon's sending 140 to New York. And this is just good. It's a good vibe, good news. Uh, Newsom said, in times of crisis, it's more important than ever. We are United States of America. California is answering the call for Americans in New York and across the country, loaning 500 state-owned ventilators to those in need. I know if the tables were turned, other states would be there for us. And Cuomo mm-hmm. says, uh, he, he says, that is the right attitude. That's the only way we do this as a nation. We're going to have to be flexible and handle the surge as it moves across the country. So just building off of what he was saying in his press conference on Friday. Um, and then in later remarks on Monday, Newsom said California was in a position to assist other states in part because the hospitals had made all of these strides in trying to get more equipment preemptively before we hit our peak. So uh, we've increased our collection from around 7,500 machines to more than 11,000 in the last few weeks, he said. So we've got some to send over. Great. And I think that that speaks a lot, too. I know that in the previous week you had been covering the Cuomo press briefings and he had talked a lot about, you know, this is going to move across cities in waves and we should move the ventilators around the country where the need is. And if I, I know that Newsom and Cuomo and some of the other governors uh, with D's next to their names are, are, are working <laughs> together to, to ensure that that happens. Um, so I think that's I think that's great. Yeah, I think so, too. I also think there's, they mentioned in the article, obviously, you know, knock on wood, don't want to speak too soon, but California is potentially starting to see more and more evidence of a sort of flattening of the curve, which hopefully will allow us to continue to keep doing stuff like this, or at least make it so that when our peak comes, it doesn't, you know, we don't even need the other states to send us ventilators. That would be ideal. And you know what's infuriating to me? is that if California is successful in flattening the curve for a time here as as we approach summer uh, and, you know, we, we've all been sheltering in place, we've been six feet apart, we've been wearing masks, uh, we, et cetera, et cetera. I have a feeling, I have a terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach that Trump is going to say, I told you the heat would kill it, April would come, it would be a miracle. God, probably. Yeah, but then it's a thing where it's like, does only California get sunshine? And he's like, yes, that's why it's called the Sunshine State. He doesn't know that. Only sunshine. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of kid that's playing uh, mentally engaging road troop games, like the ones where you look at license plates. He never would have picked up that <laughs> tidbit of information. <laughs> no, he wouldn't have. Oh, wait, you know what I just that. realized? I think Florida is a sunshine state. It is. And look, they're not doing so hot. So, <laughs> Well, thanks for yeah, letting I me think... get through that joke anyway. <laughs> I think, Cal- hey, I wasn't going to step on your punchline. I think California is a golden state. Oh, close enough. I so badly yeah. wanted it to be sunshine for the continuity of, <laughs> of the joke, but here we are. Facts. <laughs> Facts ruin comedy again. Uh, Facts ruin comedy <laughs> again. Um, but but yeah, that's uh, that's that's good. Great news, I think, that, that we're in a position yeah. to do that right now. Um, and then the biggest headline probably today is Boris Johnson has been admitted to the ICU which is insane. Um, 
he was admitted there after his symptoms just kept getting worse. And, you know, initially when he had gone to the hospital, it was a lot of talk of everything's fine. This is just, you know, trying to be extra cautious. This was, you know, at the request of the medical experts around him. And and the fact that he's being admitted to the ICU, considering ICU beds are typically only reserved for folks who are incredibly ill, is really um, possibly not it not a good sign. It's not a good sign either way, you know? So he hasn't, it's not come out yet if he's being intubated. Apparently he had only received oxygen through just an over-the-face mask so far before he was admitted into ICU. Yeah, but the thing the thing that defines an ICU bed is a ventilator, is intubation. Oh, really? So oh, he, wow, that's what that. that's one of the main things that makes an intensive care unit bed an ICU bed. But it, it, he is Boris Johnson. It's it's you know and there are people who are admitted to ICU that aren't vented. So it, it it's it's impossible to know, but it's it's very scary and I don't I don't wish ill will uh, or you know or illness on on this person we have a lot of differences politically obviously but um Mm -hmm. i i really do hope that he that he gets better and he recovers yeah definitely and i saw someone post a friend of mine on facebook and just a lot of people everywhere just saying what a reminder this is that this virus does not only you know it, it it has zero regard for class race gender identity but yeah, just the the fact that the fact that he's getting it means this is serious and this is real. So all you people that are out there thinking that this is, you know, not a big deal, when is the last time you saw a leader of a free world get hospitalized in the ICU for a regular flu? This is not the regular flu. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say though, uh, I do I do totally agree that anyone is susceptible to this, and this that is an important lesson here. But I do think, and the numbers are coming out uh, just today, that this does uh, disproportionately impact people of color. Um, and I tweeted about this last week because I was very concerned that that you know that Harvard doctor was coming up with a point system to triage people where you know if you're older or sicker or you have comorbidities uh you have you know you get more points and the more points you have once you reach a certain level of points you don't get a ventilator anymore it goes to a younger person who has more quality life years left uh and fewer comorbidities etc and it it had occurred to me because i've done a lot of research on this uh, as part of my degree in public health that uh people of color are disproportionately impacted by comorbidities and 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 negative health because they have less access to health care and they're often discriminated against and they have been for decades uh by the medical community uh as far as their diagnoses go so uh and i think that in louisiana the numbers that came out today was that 70% of the people uh with uh, that are impacted by covid-19 are people of color so uh, and only 23% of their population is black. So it's 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 a thing, um, but I, this is definitely, like you said, a, just a stark reminder that the, that rich people can't run away from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that is very true. Talking about just historically before COVID nineteen, because there's people of color and socioeconomically, you know, disadvantaged folks just typically have higher rates of comorbidities in general because of all of the other kinds of systemic racism that lead to those things, right? So then 
there's there's that aspect and then there's also the aspect that during this time the minimum wage jobs that exist right now you know a lot of like a lot of times the people that are taking those jobs in the grocery stores or in the places that are essentially these kind of petri dishes are are the ones that just need the money they can't afford to just like not go and get that job they don't have a safety net to fall back on right now and then it's Mm -hmm. like it's just so yeah it's really fucked up and that is true so I'm, i'm glad that you pointed that out yeah and when you tie healthcare to employment uh, and then you consider employment discrimination against people of color, specifically mm-hmm. anyone who might have been uh, ha- ha- has a felony uh, because they were targeted as a person of color. And you just stacks and stacks and snowballs into this into this thing. And, and, and I think the numbers are going to bear that out. But um, mm-hmm. that was just sort of an aside. So anyway, yeah. please continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely. Um, just some more some more UK news. Um, there was a video that the queen put out and it was it's generally been received as a uplifting video and you know um resembling a tone that is a bit more leadership like uh leader <laughs> I think we're than- <laughs> I think we're starved for like a compassionate speech right now just because you know of what we have <laughs> yes I'm sorry to the UK listeners that what I'm about to say will come off as immensely disrespectful, but just the fact that it's a video of a cute old woman just telling us that we're going to be okay and everyone's working together is like, (laughs) from a non-British nationals perspective, that alone, aesthetically, it is appreciated. And uh, (laughs) that was mostly a joke. I understand that the royal family is uh, indeed royal. It's like... (laughs) It's like, you know, if you've been, if you're a lady and you've been in a shitty relationship for six years and you get out of that relationship, the next nice thing any dude says to you is going to melt your heart down to butter. And so that's just us right now. We're like, oh, yes, queen. Please tell us, talk to us. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. I also noticed the color scheme of the video was green and... Um, <laughs> green is typically associated with health. So, oh, I thought you were going to go with the. Money. I thought you were going to go with all. No, all the green screens people are doing on her oh. on her green outfit. Yes. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That's that's so true. I hadn't watched those videos yet. I have to. I'm going to spend the next hour looking those up. Now. What's the What's the best one you saw? Uh, on my Facebook page, my friend Laurie uh, posted a bunch of photos with just different uh, things projected. Uh, but so, I mean, you know, just Google Queen green screen and you'll get. Queen green screen. Dude, that's uh, got a nice ring to it. Yes, it does. That's so funny. Um, but but yeah, that, that that's just a couple of updates I got. That Boris Johnson news is insane. It's going to be really interesting. Um, I mean, interesting is so wrong word to describe that but you know what i mean it's it's like the most yeah. one of the most high profile people quote unquote in the world that's gotten it so far so the eyes are obviously on it well the hoax you know yes hoax. right and then um just in terms of who's going to be kind of taking over duties when he is in icu and unable to carry on as usual uh he asked foreign secretary dominic robb uh who is the first 
Secretary of State to deputize for him where necessary. So, yeah, that's the guy that's going to be, I guess, stepping in. Yeah, they don't have a vice president, uh, speaker of the House, uh, president pro tem of the Senate succession like we do. So Mm -hmm. um, thank you for that. And um, Mm -hmm. of course, the Trump press briefing was today, as it is every day. Uh, We watch it so you don't have to. And I want to play a new game called Aces Hydroxychloroquine Grifter Countdown, where we have to guess without going over how many minutes into each press briefing Trump pushes hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I have... Uh, I'll have more on how he might be profiting later in the show, but today's press conference was stupid again. So if you didn't see it, you didn't miss much, but it took less than four minutes today for him to bring up what he called the amazing drug companies and uh, push the uh, hydroxychloroquine. There was a lot more war rhetoric. He's got this nationalist, fascisty sort of war rhetoric. It's an enemy. It's an invisible enemy. We have to kill it with our American hearts of steel. You know, that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. He keeps still saying that the country will open sooner than we think, and he cu- keeps talking about the light at the end of the tunnel. He tweeted today, just in all caps, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and somebody retweeted it and said, uh, go towards it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's a very uh, death-heavy sentence for him to it's be a, saying right now. A, like, it's a good joke. I, I, yeah. I no, I don't wish death upon anyone. Um, he was asked about the Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General survey uh, of more than 300 hospitals. Number one complaint is shortages of testing. Um, and Trump said the inspector general is wrong. Where did he come from? What's his name? Uh, it's a... Woman, it's a woman, by the way. Uh, our tests are the best. Give me their name. Give me the name of that IG. It's political. I bet you it's political. Um, I'll be. T- I'll be. T- it's. It's absolutely bananas. And I talked to Sam Vinograd about it a little bit later. But as it turns out, uh, somebody was like, "Well, they've they're you know a holdover from the last administration, but they aren't." Uh, she was actually put into this position in January in under the Trump administration, but she's been in government since 1999. Uh, he went on to trash the media, uh, and he was asked about the acting secretary of the Navy, Modley, calling Captain Crozier stupid and naive, and he said he may just have to get involved in that investigation and that Crozier shouldn't have sent the letter to so many people unclassified because it shows our weakness. We don't want our enemies to know we're weak, so we don't want to write letters where the fake news gets a letter showing our weakness. That's... Whoa. Yeah, I mean, again, this obsession with not wanting to come off a certain way, and and because of that, you're okay with more people getting sick and dying. Yeah, not like our hearts and you know thoughts go out to the families of the 173 sailors who've tested positive. Not nothing, no sympathy, no compassion. Just it's it's weakness. So everybody uh, on board the Roosevelt, you are a weak link in our military. Shame on you. So that is, um, that's pretty much that. I'll have more. I'll have more on the Captain Crozier stuff a little bit later because that audio came out um, uh, from uh, the acting secretary of the Navy who, when he addressed the crew of the Roosevelt, and I'll have some of that audio for you too. So, wow, that is my update. All right, cool. I um, all right, not not nope. well. I, I guess. This is goodbye then. <laughs> yeah, unless you have any final thoughts but in the middle of the show. <laughs> I do not. I'm really excited to see you all again on Friday. And uh, thank you for the people that have sent me messages. It makes me feel 
very supported and loved. I promise I'm okay. I got a I got Ryan here and I'm very lucky to have a companion and everything is everything is going okay so far uh in our household. So no need to worry about me. Everything's okay. Sorry if I weird you guys. Oh, that's good. I think people are just very compassionate. Our listeners are just very caring and empathetic group of folks. So Yes, they really um, are. They're like freaking mm-hmm. spiritual superheroes. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Um <clears throat> spiritual yes. A hundred percent. So thank you. Uh, and when we see each other on Friday, everyone, don't worry. It's going to be virtually. We aren't going to be physically seeing each other on Friday. We're, we're, we're staying home. I'm staying home. We're all staying home for our healthcare workers, frontline workers, grocery people, stalkers, not like, like online stalkers, but like, you know, uh, grocery stalkers <laughs> and yeah. truck drivers and all of our essential, all of our essential workers out there on the front lines, braving it for us we stay home for you so thank you and we will talk soon have a have a good rest of your day thanks you too all right and we'll be right back with more news so stick around after these messages we'll be right back Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Noom. Everybody wants to be healthier, but too often we think that means losing a certain number of pounds, and that will make you feel better. I promise you it doesn't. Getting in shape doesn't have to be about losing a specific amount of weight or a number on a scale. It's about building healthier habits and feeling better about yourself, having more energy, and just being happy. That's why I love this new habit change program from Noom. Noom helps you develop a new relationship with food and adjust to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyzing your diet, and they recommend healthy recipes as well, which are very delicious. They also connect you with an assigned goal specialist that's very personal and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Uh, I've been on Noom for about 18 months now. Initially, I lost some weight, but mostly it's about feeling good about myself. They, they use a cognitive behavioral approach, and, and they have personalized courses to help you reach your goals. You don't have to commit to a lot of time either. It's just 10 minutes a day, and they make it super convenient with the Noom app. Uh, they don't use negative reinforcement. That's big for me. There's no shaming if you go off track, so they just have tips to help you get back on track tomorrow. It's a perfect time to make a step towards healthier habits, so sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash Daily Beans. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash Daily Beans to start your trial today. That's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. So the acting, acting Secretary of the Navy, the one Trump installed after removing uh, Richard Spencer for opposing Trump's intervention in the peer review of war criminal Eddie Gallagher, um, this acting Navy secretary, this new one, blasted the now ousted captain of the Roosevelt, Captain Crozier, saying he was either too naive or too stupid to be in command or that he intentionally leaked to the media a letter that he wrote warning his chain of command about a coronavirus outbreak on his ship. Of course, the administration took his advice, but then ousted him uh, with members of his crew cheering him and chanting his name as he disembarked the ship. Uh, the acting secretary, Thomas Modley was uh, also accused uh, Crozier of a betrayal and of creating a controversy in Washington by disseminating his warning so widely among Navy officials. Quote, it was a betrayal. I can tell you one other thing, because he because he did that, he put in the public's forum, he put it in the public forum, and now it's a big controversy in Washington, D.C. And what's worse is that Modley made these remarks to Crozier's crew. When So... All of these negative things. You, I, I don't know if you've been in the Navy. You don't talk shit about uh, somebody else's boat captain. 
Uh, so was uh, Crozier too naive and stupid? Because as of Monday, 173 crew members have tested positive, with just 61% of the crew having been tested. Crozier himself has also tested positive for coronavirus. About 2,000 crew members have been moved off the ship with the plan of moving 2,700 total ashore by Friday. Why Friday? I don't know. I say get him off the boat right now, but I guess Friday. When asked if he actually said those things to the crew of the Roosevelt, Modley replied, I stand by every word I said, even, regrettably, any profanity that may have been used for emphasis. Anyone who has served in the Navy would understand. I ask, but don't expect that people uh, read them in their entirety. Well, I was in the Navy, and fuck you, sir. David Ignatius from the Washington Post says Modley told him, he fired Crozier out of concern that Trump would step in. He said, quote, I didn't want to get into a decision where the president would feel he had to intervene because the Navy couldn't be decisive. And one U.S. official told CNN that Modley didn't want to wait for an investigation to take action against Crozier, even though the chief of naval operations, Admiral Mike Gilday, wanted a pause. He wanted to pause and he opposed the immediate firing. But SecDef Esper, that's the Secretary of Defense, deferred and left the decision to Modley, who overruled Gilday. Gilday is expected to get the initial results from the investigation into Crozier's sharing of the letter on Monday. That's today. And people are now calling for the ouster of Modley for his remarks to the crew of the Roosevelt. And from Kyle Cheney at Politico, the ousted intelligence community inspector general Atkinson is speaking out. As we know, Atkinson is the inspector general that forwarded the Ukraine whistleblower report to Congress that led to Trump's forever impeachment. And then Trump fired him. Um, and he did that late last Friday night. Uh, Atkinson said in a statement Sunday evening, it is not hard to think that the president's loss of confidence in me derives from my having faithfully discharged my legal obligations as an independent and impartial inspector general and from my commitment to continue to do so. As inspector general, I was legally obligated to ensure that whistleblowers had an effective and authorized means to disclose urgent matters involving classified information to the congressional intelligence committees and that when they did blow the whistle in an authorized manner, their identities would be protected as a guard against reprisals. Inspectors general are able to fulfill their critical watchdog function functions because, by law, they are supposed to be independent of both the executive agencies they oversee and of Congress. Those of us who vowed to protect a whistleblower's right to safely be heard must, to that end, do what we promise to do, no matter how difficult and no matter how, no matter the personal consequences. I will be forever grateful to the many public officials and others who fight tirelessly and consistently in words and deeds in ordinary and extraordinary matters to protect the rights of all whistleblowers and, in turn, the best interests of the United States. That is a final statement um, upon his exit, upon his ouster by Intelligence Community Inspector General Atkinson. And in Wisconsin, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers issued an executive order today, Monday, to postpone their election uh, until June 9th. And it's not just a primary election. It's like they have a ton of local elections going on, too. Uh, and June 9th is the deadline still in place for the Democratic primary contests. According to the Chicago Tribune, which I subscribe to, and so should you if you're able, the Democratic governor's action came after he called a special session of the state legislature over the weekend in a bid to have lawmakers move the election uh, to vote by mail, entirely vote by mail. But the Senate and Assembly in Wisconsin are controlled by Republicans, and they refuse to take up the proposal. And not only that, the Republicans have insisted the polls open tomorrow as scheduled and in-person voting go forward. That gave Evers no choice but to issue the order, citing the continued increase of COVID deaths in Wisconsin. Quote, 
The people of the state deserve better than what they've been receiving, which has been on a path of the Republicans' unwillingness to do something. We've fought enough on the issue. We have not reached a conclusion. Unfortunately, the majority of the people of Wisconsin don't care about political fighting. They're just scared, and the governor has to stand up for them. Under his order, the votes already mailed in would still count. Uh, and the governor has said he's willing to meet with Republicans should they have a different day they'd like to hold in-person voting. The Republicans in Wisconsin have said they will immediately challenge the order in the state Supreme Court, which they did. And this just in, the Wisconsin Supreme Court has blocked Governor Evers' executive order, four to two, with conservative justices in favor and liberal uh, justices dissenting. So that's terrifying. They want you to go out and vote physically in person in Wisconsin. The Republicans do. Um, uh, in, in other news here, so it's been popping up everywhere that a pharmaceutical company called Novartis is involved in the federal government's purchase of hydroxychloroquine. And if that name sounds familiar, they had taken meetings with Michael Cohen in 2016 and signed a contract to pay Cohen's company, Essential Consulting, it's fucking essential, $1.2 million for access to the president. We do not have, I do not have, documentary evidence yet that there's something nefarious going on here, but let's look at some facts uh, that we might be able to draw conclusions from. It's all circumstantial, of course. It's all beans. This is all speculative. Uh, I'm hoping there's some uh, journalists with uh, better sources than me on this. I'm sure there are. On January 18th, well after Trump had been warned about the coronavirus, Trump met with the CEOs of Novartis, Bayer, and other executives during his trip to Davos. Larry Kudlow posted his op-ed downplaying the coronavirus just four days later, saying the U.S. had contained the virus. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Also, Trump made money personally off of his connections with Novartis through a purchase of a Trump apartment in New York City. And the lawyer that oversaw that transaction ended up working for Novartis. Not to mention Trump's recent tweets for no apparent reason about Michael Avenatti out of the blue. Keeping in mind, it was Avenatti that exposed the Cohen slush fund. Uh, called Essential Consulting, it's fucking essential, and that Novartis was part of it. Uh, Mueller was investigating Essential Consulting, and the investigation might be under those redaction bars in the Mueller report, which was just handed over in full to Judge Reggie Walton amid scrutiny of Bill Barr for his characterization of the Mueller findings. Now, here's a twist, and get your yarn out for your murder board, because the dots get weird. Avenatti knew about Essential Consulting because of his dealings with Keith Davidson. That's another lawyer. Uh, and the bank they used, him, him and Keith Davidson used to funnel hush money, or Keith Davidson used to funnel hush money payments with Michael Cohen, was called the First Republic Bank. And guess who sat on the board of that bank? Uh, Jordan's quarterback uh, for the Fantasy Indictment League, Tom Barrick. Uh, and there's a lot more dots here, too. A subsidiary of Novartis called Sandoz is also supplying Health and Human Services with hydroxychloroquine. And the CEO there is connected to Kushner's company, Oscar, which is also trying to capitalize on the pandemic. And finally, there's a pharmaceutical company called, if that weren't enough dots, if you don't have enough uh, yarn on your murder board yet, there's a pharmaceutical company involved here called Mylon, which has ties to Blackstone, which is owned by, you guessed it, Tom Barrick. So... Those are a lot of dots, but I assume Ferenthold or Leopold or somebody is uh, or Congress is taking a look at these connections and just who is profiting off of the thousands of dead Americans because we passed we surpassed 10,000 today. Um, that is the news. Sorry, it's not better. Uh, but we do have right after this break coming up an interview with Sam Vinograd. We're going to discuss that uh, Health and Human Services Inspector General report and another Inspector General report. 
um, that has that has come out uh, surveying 323, I believe, hospitals about what their main, you know, the main issues that they're facing during the pandemic. Uh, so stick around for that. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. I know we're all trying to do the right thing to keep healthy. Uh, but even if we try really hard to eat healthy, eat kale salads, drink smoothies, we're still most likely not getting all of the essential nutrients we need on a daily basis. Enter Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. There's no shady additives, no ingredients that can do more harm to your body than good, and it's two easy-to-take capsules, and they provide you with nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. Uh, I started taking Ritual a while ago. I really feel more energetic. I, I feel more focused. Mentally, I feel good knowing that I'm actually getting all the vitamins that I need. Uh, and I'm finally taking <clears throat> vitamins daily again. And I love my daily Ritual. It goes great with your daily beans. Uh, ritual Essential is for women. Uh, and it's the ultimate multivitamin to help fill the gaps in a woman's diet from D3 to omega-3. Uh, they are no-nausea capsule designs. And they gently, you can you can take them on an empty stomach. So they're very gentle. And there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh so you don't get that fishy aftertaste common with most omega-3s. And they use vegan-friendly, look at this, vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, allergen-free ingredients. And it's delivered directly to your door. A subscription is easy to start and it's easy to snooze. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs. Delivered every month to your door, no strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash dailybeans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. So the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General just released the results of a survey of hospital experiences responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And joining us today to discuss these results is CNN National Security Analyst Sam Vinograd. Sam, thanks for speaking with me today. It's my pleasure. Hope you're staying healthy. Yes, uh, working on it. Stand by myself. How are you holding up? I am doing exactly the same. I am hunkered down uh, in the West Village in New York City, which is, you know, obviously an epicenter for the virus right now. So staying staying at home, self-isolating, listening to the president's press conference and uh, just reading reading all these reports and watching the news. And uh, I'm worried, but staying healthy. Mm. Are you by yourself? Do you have any pets or anything? I am. Oh, my gosh, no. I, and I was thinking about... Um, trying to foster a dog during this time, but I uh, have not gotten around to that yet. But no pets, no plants, just a lot of FaceTime sessions with uh, my 92-year-old, or 91-year-old father and mother in Connecticut oh. Oh. and that sort of thing. So yeah, so that's about it. Well, bless you for, for doing what you're doing. It's It's been weird. It's been tough. My My anxiety coping bucket is empty, I think. <laughs> Where you're in California, I believe here, uh, it's, it's tough. It's nice weather here today. Um, and unfortunately a lot of folks were out and about, um, trying to get some sunshine. So it's, you know, it's nice that it's nice out, but I, I was cringing a little bit watching people on the West side highway and outside my window, just kind of socializing a little bit more, getting exercise. I know it's so hard mentally for, for people, but you know, Deborah Burks, um, was just part of the white house briefing. I don't know if you saw, and she, said quite appropriately that we owe it to our healthcare workers to to stay inside right now. And I just hope everybody listens to that as hard as it is. Yeah, 100%. Think about all the healthcare workers in your life and, and do it for them. 
Uh, so in these press briefings that you just mentioned, I was just peeled myself away from the uh, the insanity uh, to, to give you a ring. Uh, Trump has been saying uh, he's a miracle and the hospitals and governors are there's nothing wrong if they're complaining. It's just because they're partisan. He, he accused health providers of stealing PPE. He said that officials are only complaining for political reasons. And, and he also said on a call with governors that he's never heard of any issues with testing when it was brought up, uh, which is, I, I assume, where you would hear about it. But but that is not what the Health and Human Services Office Inspector General found uh, in this latest report, is it? Can you tell us a little bit about the findings? Yeah. And I just want to, before I do so, I just really want to emphasize why this report is important that the term inspector general has been in the news quite a lot lately um, because Trump fired the inspector general of the intelligence community based upon that IG's role in shepherding the whistleblower complaint to Congress. Um, that IG, Michael Atkinson, followed the law and passed on an urgent and credible whistleblower complaint to Congress. Trump fired him uh, for that. Now we have another inspector general at HHS um, issuing a report uh, that is, by, by law, really, independent, objective, and fact-based. Um, you know, IG's role is, uh, across U.S. government are really to um, report on waste, fraud, and abuse and mismanagement. And so this IG report, um, and it was, uh, it was published by the principal deputy inspector general of HHS, who was appointed to her current role under President Trump. She has decades of service to the U.S. government. This report looks at a specific time period, March 23rd to 27th. So that, you know, the virus, uh, unfortunately, had already started to wreak havoc here in the United States. And the report looks at hospital experiences responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. What the IG did um, was talk to, I believe, 323 um, hospitals across 46 states in the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. Um, it was a random sample. They um, focused on three key questions. So basically asked the same ho- the hospitals the same things. What are your most difficult challenges in responding? What strategies is your hospital using to address or mitigate these challenges? And how could government best support hospitals responding to COVID-19? Now, it is worth noting that even absent this report, um, the level of information about access to testing and what healthcare professionals are going through is galling. I mean, we have basically sent uh, healthcare professionals into battle um, with no with no ammunition, no protection. But what the IG report really underscores is that um, the, the the key challenges facing hospitals right now are testing and caring for patients with known or expected COVID and keeping staff safe. Um, so the report goes through what uh, hospitals are facing as well as what patients are facing. So for example, in one part of the report, it says because of uh, both the lack of testing and the fact that for some of the tests that are being used, um, you have to wait several days to get results back. It's not immediate for many people. And so patients are just, you know, kind of hanging out, waiting to get results um, in conditions that none of us would want to be in or, or would want our loved ones uh, to be in either. Mm. Yeah. And I noticed that today uh, during the press briefing, Trump said that the hospitals don't need the federal government to test. They should just be testing. The hospitals and the states should be doing this. Why is that totally incorrect? 
Well, uh, I just have to say this, but his lack of compassion here is just really difficult to take. Um, you know, he said something to the effect of what he wants to do, stand on the street corner and do testing. Well, guess what? Other governments around the world are doing exactly that because they want to keep people safe and don't want the virus to spread. You look at governments like South Korea and others versus the president's own um, commentary on this. Now, you know, with respect to President Trump saying this should be up to hospitals and states to do, this is (laughs) the novel coronavirus is novel. Testing for it, um, an an accurate test for it, uh, finding one required time. Um, we did not accept the initial test from the World Health Organization. Initial tests from the CDC uh, had issues. And the ability of, I mean, name a random hospital to come up with an accurate COVID-19 test is just ridiculous to think about. And that's why the federal government should have uh, found um, adequate t- testing, uh, uh, you know, just how to do it originally and then stockpiled supplies of tests where they were needed. We did the opposite of that. And President Trump's defense, whether it's on the testing or PPE, you know, the, the, la- the widespread shortage of PPE is another key issue in this HHS report, the IG report. And, you know, that the report says that there were widespread shortages of PPE, which puts staff and patients at risk. You know, Trump's Trump has said, and Jared Kushner said the other day, well, basically, you know, it's not the federal government's job to supply the states. Kushner had really awful and and misinformed statement about what the national stockpile is for. Mm -hmm. He, Mm -hmm. you know, he said it's ours, not theirs, basically. And so this whole notion of the federal government, um, in the first instance, during a crisis, being a centralized distribution point um, is something that's anathema right now. And I think what we're really seeing is Trump trying to shift blame um, to anybody but himself and misunderstanding the role of the federal government during a crisis. Yeah. And a lot of the testing shortages comes from supply shortages. You can't test if you don't have face shields or PPE. You can't test if you don't have swabs. And I think a lot of people were hoping that uh, this administration might invoke the Defense Production Act to get those supplies out. And then, of course, you have to at the the very early on, we we only could send those results to CDC. And so the federal government has a very big, if not pivotal role in ensuring that testing occurs. And so it's just it seemed odd to me that not odd, uh, I guess, expected that he would pivot this to be able to blame states and hospitals uh, to deflect the, you know, the buck from stopping with him. And um, the general got up from USPHS and he was asked about the IG report. And he said the IG report is basically it's wrong. It was done a long time ago, he said, March 23rd. Uh, And he didn't know who the IG was and neither did Trump. And Trump uh, actually asked how long the inspector general had been there in 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 the job. Uh, And I mean that he first of all, that he doesn't know who the IG is. Okay, all right, fine. I don't know all the IGs either, but that he just came out brazenly saying it was an Obama appointee. Uh, And as you pointed out earlier, she was actually appointed to her position as inspector general during the Trump administration, but has been in federal service since 1999. And a reporter had corrected him on that. So it was just sort of a circus. Well, he and he, you know, so Christy Grimm is a principal deputy inspector general. She was appointed. She was promoted to that role in January of this year. 
She has decades of service to the U.S. government, public service, something that President Trump doesn't understand. Um, and, you know, he's really insinuating that this, you know, this deep state of Obama holdovers somehow colored the content of what she put forward. He, you know, this is really like projecting here. He can't, he can't understand that someone just does their actual job without some kind of personal, uh, personal mission. But, you know, he also said the report wasn't true. Trump said that. Yep. Um, and so at this point, what he's basically saying is don't believe anything that you hear unless it comes from me. And he's, you know, that to, to call the contents of an IG report untrue in the midst of a crisis is, is nothing new for him, really. He does like to redefine reality um, along the lines of whatever, you know, kind of reality TV show he has going on in his head right now. But, you know, this is this is indicative of what he wants the American people to view to view as truth. The difference here, of course, is that this report um, really echoes slash supports all the images that we're been we've been seeing every day about lack of access to tests and lack of access uh, to to PPE um, while underscoring again that this puts all kinds of Americans whether it be um, healthcare professionals or patients themselves in direct risk so it's it's tougher for Trump to call this untrue and get away with it when the, you know, the visuals that we're seeing, the people that we're seeing in the media, on social media, are really echoing its findings. Yeah. And like you said, this isn't a subjective op-ed inspector general report. This is a survey of hospitals, 323 of them. And here is what they said. And so if I were a giant jerk like Trump, it might make more sense to say the hospitals are lying, but not the IG. The IG is just compiling the data, those data, and 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 putting it in a report. It just makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, but with his history of how he treats whistleblowers and inspectors general, I'm I'm frankly not surprised. Me neither. And look, I mean, he Trump likes an investigation as long as it comes out on his side, right? Uh, and so he supports investigations that, uh, you know, come up with something negative about Democrats or people that he views as having wronged him. Um, but, you know, he, he, he went after the IG here, the deputy, principal deputy IG here, because her name is on the report. But again, this, as you underscore, this report was compiled from data from hospitals. And I think he has gotten political pushback um, when he's accused, you know, a few days ago hospitals of doing something shady with medical supplies, right? I mean, these are the people that are risking their lives to keep us safe. And he, based on nothing, is accusing them of stealing or somehow profiting off of PPE. So I I, I don't think it's strange that he didn't go after the hospitals this time, because I think he got a lot of pushback from it. Instead, he's, he's going after the IG, who's really in this case, a messenger for what the hospitals told her. And the problem is, other than Corey Gardner, who asked for an HHS uh, IG report into issues associated with coronavirus, there are not other Republican voices speaking truth on this. It's crickets on COVID uh, when it comes to the Republican Party, other than Corey Gardner. Um, And so, you know, I I cringe to think what uh, the retribution will be like uh, against Christy Grimm. Um, Trump fires people, no matter how dangerous, um, to our national security when they do something he doesn't like, that this, you know, checks that box. But the, the, the reality of what is happening in the hospitals 
is um, you know, documented in this report. But even if Trump does retaliate against Christy Grimm, I don't think that's going to change what so many Americans are seeing uh, with their own eyes at this point. Mm. Yeah, well, I think Christy Grimm is in trouble. And I also think uh, Horowitz uh, is the Department of Justice Inspector General is in trouble after making a statement uh, standing up for former intelligence community Inspector General Atkinson. So I I don't know how long he's going to last either, but it is a very they are purging non-loyalists. And so we'll you know, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. But I expect that we won't be hearing. uh, There's been a very chilling effect on whistleblowers. There well, on whistleblowers, but on oversight in general. I mean, it, it, it's worth keeping in mind that the OIGs, the Office of Inspector Generals at various um, agencies, are responsible for the appropriate treatment of whistleblower complaints. That is a key function of what they do. But they're also responsible for a lot more than that. They're responsible for reporting on, detecting and reporting on waste, fraud, and abuse more generally. So within HHS, for example, OIG would be responsible for whistleblower complaints. But as we see with this report, again, just doing these uh, these reports on um, basically resources that HHS is responsible for. So you start firing a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of IGs, getting rid of critical staff, and the ability to ensure appropriate oversight more generally is impacted. And I think, you know, I don't think Trump really minds that, right? I mean, there have been so many already um, critiques and questions about how the administration failed to prepare for this pandemic. Mm. And even in the early days, you know, Trump, the decision making that just really astounds a lot of us that have done crisis response. You know, you look at something like the Defense Production Act or, um, you know, the, the, the quote unquote travel bans or what have you. But, you know, the, the less people that are independent and objective and asking questions um about U.S. government resources for this president, I think he views that as a positive, right? Um, so it's whistleblowers and more when it comes to the IGs. Yeah, I've, I've worked through a couple of uh, inspector general investigations at VA. Um, for example, the 2014 uh, wait list uh, at the Phoenix VA inspector general investigation. And uh, recently, actually last October, and I spoke to former secretary of the VA, Dr. Shulkin, about this, but there was a IG report put out by the VA that uh, this administration was not only ignoring whistleblowers within the VA, but retaliating against them as well. So it's it's every agency, it's across, and it's at all levels. Um, so it's just, I guess, what we have to endure until we have a different administration. I guess so. I mean, it's like IG investigations or reports or oversight generally. I mean, I served in government for a while. You know, it's 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 necessary. It's not always pleasant because it takes, you know, but it's necessary. Yeah, it's It's never good. You never have a good. It's not like you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, gee, I hope that I'm part of some audit or IG, some other IG um, report or investigation. That's not typically on your like daily wish list. No. And there's never there's there's never an inspector general report that comes out that says everything's fine. We found out everything was fine. Right. (laughs) But by the same token, like if you're somebody that prioritizes national security over some kind of perverse personal insecurity like this president, you read that report and you think, okay, based on that, what do I need to do to address it? Like, how do I make this better? What, you know, based upon what's, what's come to light, that's typically how you respond to an IG report. Um, 
we're seeing the opposite of that right now. And you know, the president, um, the president is not going is is going to use this as a reason for retribution rather than you know a reason to make changes. Um, and you know the IG at HHS has a heck of a lot more work to do mm-hmm. um, on on the coronavirus response. And I, I think based upon what Christy Grimm put out um, earlier, I think that this administration, uh, however long it lasts, is going to do everything possible to silence that because she she literally just reported feedback from 323 hospitals. This is not an opinion. Uh, this is a report from an IG. And so I think he's going to want to kind of put a muzzle on this going forward. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And uh, everybody vote, uh, except Wisconsin. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yes. Damn. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I plan yeah. on voting as a New Yorker, so count okay. me in. Good. Excellent. Well, at least you got your elections postponed. Maybe they'll do some vote by mail. All right. Well, thank you so much, CNN National Security Analyst Sam Vinograd. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, and uh, stay healthy. You as well. And still to come, the good news block. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Uh, I used to think that I was losing sleep, uh, tossing and turning, because the leader of the free world is an insane man-baby. But as it turns out, that is partially true, but there was another reason. Uh, One of the biggest causes of sleepless nights is having the wrong mattress for the way you sleep. That is why I recommend Helix Sleep. They have a quick online quiz, takes just about two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. It is customized for your sleep habits, and nobody on the planet is exactly like you, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep customizes their mattress to fit you in the way you sleep best, whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, or if you like a soft bed or a firm bed. With Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress. Helix Sleep was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine, so just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. It is the best mattress ever. And they have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, and they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will love it. Um, and they are offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $125 off. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I love that song. Okay, before I read you the good news, uh, let's get social. Hashtag. So right now I want to get hashtag I stand with Captain Crozier trending. Um, If you get a chance to listen to the audio of the acting secretary of the Navy, Modley, addressing the crew of the Roosevelt, check out my Twitter at Mueller. She wrote I shared it there. Um, here's one sailor responding to Modley, one of the crew, one of the sailors on the Roosevelt. You can hear him responding to Modley's announcement on the 1MC. That's the overhead, you know, speaker system piped throughout the ship. And it's around the 150 minute, one minute and 56 second mark after, after Crozier, uh, insinuates that, um, or excuse me, after Modley insinuates that Crozier must be either stupid or naive. Let's take a listen. And he was A, too naive or too stupid to be the commanding officer of a ship like this. What the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck indeed, shipmate. I concur. Um, I'm still just so mad about this as, as, a, as a Navy veteran. Um, 
I, I just can't believe he he did this. Modley did this. Uh, <laughs> there's just 800 things wrong with it. Um, we'll keep following this story for you. We'll bring you updates as they happen. Uh, now, to your good news. Uh, someone anonymous shared an article with us that landlords have changed the locks on a church after a pastor refused to abide by shutdown orders. That's a raw story um, article. You should check that out. It's really, that's pretty great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, from Lindsay Taylor. Yesterday, uh, Hakinda Ardern, the, uh, I don't I, am I saying her name properly? Probably not. Anyway, the New Zealand Prime Minister reassured Kiwi kids that the Easter Bunny and Tooth Fairy are considered essential services, so they should still be able to deliver, while noting lockdown and heavy workload may mean they can't always deliver, uh, that, but that they'll still be uh, delivering uh, your, you know, your Easter Bunny and Tooth Fairy goods. So that was pretty adorable. And I absolutely love the New Zealand Prime Minister. Ever since she came on the world stage after her response to the shooting there, um, I've just absolutely been enamored by her politics and her career. She's just an incredible woman. So that makes me want to go there. From John. Um, This weekend, our coffee shop raised $500 for the local food bank and handed out 85 free bag lunches through our takeout window while socially distanced, gloved up and masked up. Uh, lots of work out here in Washington wine country and a big factory just closed. Many are in need here, so it feels good to help. Thank you, John. Thanks for doing that. Um, what a wonderful thing. I appreciate that. That's a good story. From Tim, last week here in L.A., Mayor Garcetti ordered the use of face masks in all public spaces. All the local pharmacies had been long cleared out and I had nothing but a bandana at hand. Later that day, I went for my run in a different neighborhood than usual and was delighted to find colorful colorful chalk writing in front of at least half of the houses. Um, I approached some really big writing that said, need a mask, take one, with an arrow pointing toward a basket on the walkway. And in that basket was a homemade mask, the last one of the day. I took it with gratitude and have made it my own after laundering it, of course. I'm sure that basket gets refilled on a regular basis. These kids will save us all. That was so great. Thank you for sharing that, Tim. And well, that's a nice story. Well worded. From Rowan Everard. My collective and I have been manufacturing hand sanitizer for people experiencing homelessness and local nonprofit clinics for the last three weeks. To date, we have produced and distributed over 160 gallons. That is awesome. Excellent. Thank you, Rowan, for doing that. From Anka. My parents live in Santa Cruz in the mountains in California, and the residents have started a nightly ritual at 8 p.m. where they stick their heads out and howl into the evening. They say it creates a sense of community. It's a great stress relief, and they can even hear people from across the canyon. Hashtag quarantine life. Yeah, I've heard about that, Anka. I've heard I've heard there's folks doing that. That's so cool. I want to get something started in my neighborhood, but I feel like my neighbors are jerks. I'm not sure, though. Maybe. From Jim... Someone in my neighborhood announced on the next door site that on Tuesday they're going to take food, drinking water, and other necessities to the Navajo Nation a few hundred miles from here. And they're asking people to donate what they can. People have responded by filling that person's porch with enough canned food and other items to nearly fill their pickup truck. All of New Mexico, that's the area that's been hit the hardest by COVID. Of all of New Mexico, that's the area that's been hit the hardest by COVID. It is Navajo Nation. And one of the places where it's hardest for people to get groceries and so on. So this will make a real difference. That's wonderful. That is so great. Using the Nextdoor app for good stuff. I love it. Um, from Sarah. 
I'm part of a committee that has raised $25,000 to purchase meals from our town's restaurants, supplying local hospitals, medical practices, and grocery stores and the like with meals as they continue to work. What a great idea. Raise money to purchase from the local restaurants to give meals to the frontline workers. That is so fabulous. Um, What a great idea. I'm glad that... I'm glad that you're doing that, Sarah. Um, That's a cool idea. I might steal that idea. I really like it. Anyway, thank you for all your good news stories. Please send them in to us. You can do it multiple ways. You can either contact us at hello at Muller She Wrote or uh, Amanda at Muller She Wrote. She'll take your good news stories. You can hit us up on Twitter at Daily Beans Pod or at Muller She Wrote. And pretty much... Uh, you can head to the website and click on contact and send us uh, send us something in the form there. We will force you to build a compliment sandwich on that, though. Maybe. I don't know. That might just be corrections. Anyway, um, it's been really great to be able to speak to you today. And I look forward to Friday. Uh, we're going to I like the cocktail hour. It's going to be dress. Uh, you have to, you know, you don't have to dress up. Uh, we're going to dress up um, and we'll see if we can get some uh, like a guest on to come and say hi. So it's 4 p.m. Friday. If you're a patron, we will mail you the link midday Friday Pacific time. So look in your junk mail for that. Anyway, thank you very much. And thanks to Jordan. And thanks to Amanda. Thanks to my whole staff, uh, the whole staff on this, um, not my staff, the staff on this, on these podcasts. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without you. And I wouldn't be able to do it without our listeners either. So thank you, listeners. Please take care of yourselves. Please take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.